Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Recording on what is apparently International Podcast Day. Make of that whatever you will. My name's Ben Hocking. No F1 race this weekend, but plenty to keep us occupied in the world of Formula One uh, and to keep us out of mischief, at least for this episode. A very good evening to Samuel Sage and Harry Eid. Sam, have you recovered from Sochi yet? I mean, it was very stressful. It was very full on. I'm taking a deep breath and uh, wait. Oh, no, that was that was talking about the driving through London I had to do. No, Sochi was fine. I don't even remember that happening. Is it actually International Podcast Day? Yes, it is, apparently. Have you, or have you just made this up? I, I can understand why you would think I would make this up, but genuinely, it's a thing. Oh, this friendship okay. stresses me out more than Sochi did. <laughs> is he lying? Not sure. <laughs> That's not what either of you are like anymore. <laughs> is Ben lying? That's number one poll for this evening. Text yes or text no to... No, I don't care. So we'll actually talk some F1 rather than deciding whether I'm lying or not about it being International Podcast Day, which it is. Um, we're going to be discussing Mick Schumacher, Robert Schwartzman and Callum Eiler, the three Ferrari Academy drivers. We've discussed this at length beforehand, but they are getting their first FP1 outings. So we'll be looking at, uh, at their chances of securing a seat next season and how we think those FP1 outings might go. Looking at Red Bull, of course, Ferrari's downfall has been, let's say, rather spectacular this year. Uh, has it at all spared Red Bull, who are, to be honest, no closer to Mercedes than they were this point last year? And we are bringing it back thanks to every single person that has wanted this F1 back and forth. Harry versus Sam, you absolutely love to see it. But first of all, we're going to be discussing something that we put to the people on Twitter. At L Breaking, get involved. We're always asking these sorts of questions. We asked two questions. What is the best move made by a Formula One driver? 
and what is the worst move made by a Formula One driver from one team to another? Um, really interesting answers across the board. Sam, I'll kick off with, kick off with you on this one. Is there one that comes to mind for you? Um, the biggest one kind of in the last decade to two decades that comes to mind has to be uh, thy current champion, Lewis Hamilton, moving from McLaren, who went on basically what Ferrari could be going on now, one of the biggest downward spirals we've seen from a top team in a long time, since Williams, pretty much. Um, they dropped off a cliff. Hamilton kind of jumped off that ship as it was almost kind of tiltering over the edge. And he, he jumped into a Mercedes team that was on the precipice of something great, something brilliant, wasn't he? I mean, they had a, a Schumacher and Rosberg there building and changing that team. And that car was god-awful, god-awful the season before Hamilton joined. It was worse than the uh, McLaren. And as as described by the, the tweet that we that, that Ben, I think, found, or was it Ben, Harry, one of you two, found on, uh, on the BBC Sports page from when Hamilton moved. Hamilton moves to the saying, what are your thoughts? And the comments are all, idiot move. He's, he's ruined his career. That team's awful. They'll never achieve anything. And look where they are now. Literally the most record-breaking team pretty much of all time. Hamilton, a six-time world champion. He has continued to help that team grow. He is part of a brilliant, brilliant culture there. Um, only beaten once by, obviously, the king himself, Rosberg. Um, fire explosions behind me, please, on the green screen. Um, honestly... What an incredible move. A lot of people, I think, in the comments when we tweeted this said Schumacher. The reason why I disagree with Schumacher is because I have to doff my cap to the legend that is Michael and the fact that Michael built that team up. Michael did not move into a Ferrari team that was ready and steady cook. Why, hello, Jill. Um, <laughs> waiting to go for <laughs> for five championships in a row, you know. He, he didn't want sing and it was there waiting for him. Michael made something of that Ferrari team. Michael was the best thing that's happened to Ferrari in a long time. And evidently so, because the moment that Michael leaves, it doesn't quite go their way again. I think Michael was really a strong talent for keeping that team afloat and having just that, that winning mentality that willingness could do the next best thing. I'm always going to go one step further. I'm always going to bend the rules. I'm always going to push the player as far as I can. I'm always going to try and go as hard as I can everywhere. And he Obviously, he got those results, having the most wins and the most world titles. We'll see if that stays at the end of the season. But as it stands, that's what he has to his name. So for me, Michael deserves a lot more credit for building a team and a legacy in that team. Whereas Hamilton, I think, tactically moved at a brilliant time. Strategically, a little bit of luck. He shows himself off as a great young talent. He proved that he's a great racer. And if he made it what he needed it to be. And he beat everyone coming his way since then, apart from that one year at Rosberg. Um... So, yeah, for me, Hamilton moving to that Mercedes, I think is possibly one of the best moves in terms of timing and then luck and then skill, all combining in Formula 1. It's a fantastic move. And as we've seen, it's now in history. Harry, what are your thoughts on those two moves? And would you uh, would you put forward another one, perhaps, as one of the best? Yeah, I mean, Hamilton to Mercedes, Schumacher to Ferrari. Uh, I don't disagree with anything Sam has said there. Um yeah, Hamilton, the move was perfect timing. He did one year in 2013 when the Mercedes wasn't dominant, but still got a few wins out, out of it. And then, um, yeah, and then the hybrid era came in. So he obviously foresaw the, uh, you know, or, or recognised what Mercedes were doing in, you know, with that hybrid engine and that it could help him towards another championship. In fact, it's helped him to another five. So that's probably, you know, the, the headline move. Schumacher, again, 
yeah, I, I agree with Sam. It was, it you know, it was can still be seen as a, a great move, but he he had to work for it. He had you know four four or five years without a championship and some some painful moments along the way before they did get that. Obviously, then they went on to dominate, but it wasn't the immediate success story. Um, another one I'm going to throw in there is, uh, well, it's it's not a move. It's a it's a non move, but button to. Williams circa 2005 was supposed to go to Williams big legal battle BAR said no sunshine you're not going to Williams and JB's like but I got a contract and they're like no you got a contract with us anyway I can do another <laughs> you know dramatic um, reenactment of that another time um, but yeah he didn't go to Williams in the end in 05 if he had I don't think he'd be world champion I don't think he'd even have a race win to his name so in terms of not making the move or, or you know, keeping, staying at the, the the right team at the right time, I know he still endured some painful times at, at BAR slash Honda, but you know that could have been a huge turning point in his career. We would have we could have been talking about Jensen Button. Oh yeah, that you know that British driver that you know showed a lot of talent but never won a race. So yeah, that's another one I throw in. But like I said, the the two headline ones are, have got to be Hamilton and Schumacher. Yeah, so I mean to look at the to look at the Hamilton one first of all, and I would agree with what you said, uh, both of you really, in that Hamilton did play the game very well. McLaren weren't giving him the championships. Um, you know, they went close a couple of times um, from, but from two thousand and eight onwards, it's not as if they were winning anything. Uh, but it was still a, a courageous move to make to a degree. You know, the Mercedes thing was an unknown at that moment in time, and if it goes pear shaped. Who knows where he'd be now? Maybe we would be thinking of Lewis Hamilton as that incredible driver that won a championship very early in his career and never built on it at all. There's every chance that that would have happened. So um, it was a bold move. It was a move that paid off. I think, you know, you, you can understand that 2014 was going to bring about a not only a brand new era, but a dramatically brand new era. And um, the lay of the land was changing. And Hamilton was able to establish this. Um, yes, there was still some luck in it. Don't get me wrong, but it was smart of him to to see that things were changing. The Schumacher one just to raise an extra point on that because I would agree with the, with the fact that Schumacher did help build that team up. And when he joined the team back in uh, back in '96, it's not as if it was in a it was in a great position at the time. You know, he was moving to a team that had not won a championship since, uh, well, a driver's championship since the 1970s, 1979 with Jody Schechter. They'd won a few constructors' championships in the 1980s, I believe, but it was it was still a long time since they'd had any sort of sustained success. And it was a big risk because not only is it about what you're moving to, it's about what you're moving away from. So in the instance of Lewis Hamilton, he was moving away from a a, a very good team, but not one that had won anything in the last few years. Schumacher was moving away from Benetton at the time where he was literally a reigning cha- a reigning double champion. And so it was a massive risk in that respect to move away from that into an unknown. As we know now, he was able to build that Ferrari team and win even more championships there. And Benetton, at least in that guise, never recovered to the state that it was once in. Uh, you know, they, they were occasionally competitive in the late 90s, but... It was nothing like the success they had under Schumacher. And it wasn't until eventually became Renault that, that they ended up having more success again. So 
Uh, a very smart move for, from Schumacher to move away from Benetton just at the time that they were going to start to deplete. And I guess that also calls in the question, how much of Benetton's success can you put down to the abilities of Schumacher rather than the success of the team, considering where they went afterwards? Um, and I'd just like to throw another one in here, and that is Nicky Lauda to Ferrari in the uh, in the mid 70s so you know, Nicky Lauda came into the sport he he raced for for BRM in his early days BRM was in a a pretty awful state at the time um in the early 70s you know Jean-Pierre Beltoise won the 1972 Monaco Grand Prix for the team but that was their final win they never ever won again after being a team that had provided drivers with championships in the 60s so um that was a team that was uh, a bit of a a tired giant almost. It was it was coming to the end of its life, BRM, and it never would recover. Nicky Lauda, though, he moved to Ferrari, and you know, a move to Ferrari back then, just as it is now, was incredibly prestigious. But he was joining a team that were not in a good state. You know, Ferrari again hadn't won for quite a while. I don't think Ferrari had won a championship since thirties and sixty four, when Lauda moved nearly ten years later. Uh, and they were just coming off 1973, which was one of the worst seasons in Ferrari's history, where they had literally sat out a number of races in the second half of the season because they were so uncompetitive that they couldn't, they were too embarrassed to show up and they didn't think it was worth it. They ended up recovering very well under Luca de Montezemolo in 74, uh, and Lauda was a part of that. And of course, he went on to win two championships with the team, very nearly won a third in 76. So Lauda made a great move there. Uh, and I'll just point out one or two others. Uh, a couple of moves to McLaren, actually. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, and I'll, I'll mention him now because he's also going to get a mention when it comes to worst move as well. But Emerson Fittipaldi moved to McLaren just two years after Lotus gave him a championship. Uh, a bold move to move away from Lotus at that point. Turned out to be a good one, though, because Lotus had a few down years uh, and McLaren gave him another championship. And if he stuck around at McLaren, he probably would have got one or two more again. The other one is also a move to McLaren. So Alain Prost, who started his career at McLaren in 1980, when McLaren were in a pretty down spell, you know, the late 70s and early 80s were not a good time for McLaren. They recovered, though, in the mid 80s. Alain Prost moved to Renault and then back from Renault to McLaren, ended up being a masterstroke. Didn't quite win the championship against Lauda in 1984, but then, of course, went on to win a couple of championships in the few years after that. So that was a very good returning move uh, from Alain Prost there. So th those are the few that I would like to honourably mention. But yeah, the Schumacher and Hamilton ones, very difficult to look past those as well. Now, we've done all the positivity. Let's get on to some negativity, because that's what we love here at Late Breaking. Yeah, let's Just... make people feel bad for their choices. <laughs> it's, it's what we do best. It really is. Mostly to ourselves. Worst move. What would you go for, Sam? Um, so my worst move, the one that stands out for me, the one that I think... So this this individual was a... Uh, well, I sound like I'm presenting like the end of school award. This individual um, <laughs> was... <laughs> A, a talent, a shining star, someone that people still look back on now with... Uh, <laughs> the with, whole um, crowd knows who you're talking about, yeah, but you're no, still no, trying no. to keep it secret. Yeah, There's, there's Alan Pross nudging him in the, in the, in the, in the show. <laughs> it's you, it's you. I love it. Ayrton's look, looking over. Oh, it's, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's crazy, strong and lazy. Um, 
Yeah, everyone, everyone claps. Way, Jean, you've won the worst move award. Um, he could have gone to Williams, and our boy Nige obviously did, and world titles arrived. Um, instead, after being at Tyrrell, impressing in the rare occasion he got, um, he went through this whole saga at the, the start of the 90s where would he join Williams, would he not? And then he kind of fell out of favour with Frank and then Frank had a bit of a bad time and then Sean didn't really trust him too much. And, and then um, because of Nige stepping down because he wouldn't be claimed driver number one, the first seat, um, he suddenly announced a shock retirement. Wink, wink to the, uh, the fans out there. Um, there was a seat available at Ferrari. And when a seat becomes available at Ferrari, as we've seen with a lot of drivers, Carlos Sainz most recently, it's very hard to turn around and go, mm, no, I'm not going to race for Ferrari. Um, and Jean Lazy took it. He, he captured the hearts of the Tifosi. He's very much loved still, I think, in the Formula One community by people that always look at the history of the sport, by drivers now. You know, he's very respected. A bit crazy. Look at those eyes. Don't look at them too long, though. Um, <laughs> you know, it's Jean Lazy. He's great. But he only got one victory. He got one victory. I believe it was at Canada. Um, you know, the guy had some great talent. That that famous battle with Senna, I think it was like 34 laps long or something like that, where they were back and forth, back and forth, F1 back and forth on the podcast. If you, um, And he lost it eventually. Senna did beat him. But I think it showed the amount of talent that a lazy had and maybe should have been a world champion. And if he made that right choice to go to the right team, there's a very, very strong chance that Williams would have given him at least one world championship. So for me, uh, Jean Alesi, one of the few people that are not world champions that I definitely believe should be. Um, and he's only got one win to his name, which is shocking. So for me, it's uh, Alesi to the worst move in history of F1. What about you, Harry? Uh, I am going to... I'm going to plop four. Mr. DC, Mr. Chinjaw himself. Um, yep, at CJ. Um, <laughs> he, at the end of 95, he wanted a bit more dough from uh, Sir Frank, who wasn't actually paying him too much, I don't think. Um, he had his first win, and I think he wanted a bit more dollar, and he and Sir Frank went, Nassan, you've only had one win, pipe down. So then Mr. Chinjol, DC, <laughs> went off to uh, Ron Dennis and said, can I have some more money if I come and drive for you? And he was like, yeah, of course you can, mate. And so we drove for <laughs> Mafra in 96. And uh, at the uh, first, I, I only know this because he's told the story himself, but um, at the first race, he sat you know, in like 18th place in the new McLaren-Mercedes partnership, which was still a bit rusty at that point. And the two Williams had locked the front row with Hill and Villeneuve and DC's thinking, damn. I shouldn't have done that. And there's a possibility DC could have been a, a world champion in, you know, 96, maybe 97. Um, instead, he was at Macca. And yes, he had a chance in, you know, 2001, but he was against Hakkinen for a lot of it. Hakkinen always had the, he always had Ron's heart, I think. Uh, so DC never really stood a, a fair chance of a, of a championship fight. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. DC could have been a, a world champion of F1 and not just of our hearts, had he not oh, gone to A lazy DC, the drivers of our hearts that soon will break them again. <laughs> exactly. 
I really like to think and I hold on to the fact that, that Ron Dennis and David Coulthard's negotiations went exactly <laughs> yeah. as you put it, Harry. They're both incredibly cockney for some bizarre reason. <laughs> with any character that we portray on the late breaking uh, YouTube channel or in the podcast, they all become incredibly cockney and they all get called weird names like me mucker. They're all Del Boy, basically. <laughs> I, I yeah. really, really hope it was that, you know, you all right, Ronnie D? Yeah, you're right, DC. How's it going? Bit more money and I'll drive for you? Yeah, go on then, go on then. I really hope it did go down that way. Yeah. Light doubt that it did. Um, I am going to, just, I'll touch on both of those, actually. So the genre lazy to Ferrari one, if I had to give an answer, actually, that would be my answer because... Um, you say, you know, Sam, he could have won a, won a championship, and I think he probably would have won one. But ultimately, at least let's let's focus on the chances for him to win a championship. He could have won a championship in '92. Of course, Mansell did win that one. '93, Prost won that one for Williams, so he would have had a chance there. '94, you know, Hill and the Williams had a chance until the very last race, so theoretically, a lazy could have done there. '95. Obviously, Hill wasn't as involved in that one, but that was he didn't have a great year that year. If Lazy had been slightly better, I think he could have been in with a chance there. 96, of course, Williams won. 97, of course, Williams won. So I think you've got six consecutive championships there that if a Lazy had stuck around for all of them, he could have at least had a chance to win any of them. Um, not saying he would have won all of them, but it, it's about the chances that he would have he would have got. Um, in, in terms of DC, I, I would also agree that he, he would have had obviously a much better chance of winning championships in the following two years in 96 and 97. Theoretically, with a bit more experience under his belt, I think he would have given Hill and Villeneuve a bit of a bit of a run for their money. Uh, I'm going to stray away from that answer just because he did move into a position that gave him a chance theoretically at championships in, in 98 through to 01. So... Uh, of course, Hakkinen was was the lead driver there, and um, and he was the one that that won the championships. But Coulthard was in a good position. It's not as if he moved from a good spot into a terrible spot. Um, he moved from a good spot into a still a pretty good spot. Um, the one I you know I've already referenced Emerson Fittipaldi. I think his decision to go back on one of the best decisions he's ever made to one of the worst decisions he ever made is just spectacularly bad. He moved to Kopasukar. Uh, at the end of... At <laughs> Sorry, the end... Uh, let me just look that up in the dictionary. Um, apparently, they're an F1 team. Yes, yes, owned by his brother. Um, it was a very national uh, national pride kind of move from Fittipaldi, thinking that... Uh, I think it had a lot of Brazilian oil money, perhaps, behind it, um, thinking that that could be... Uh, you know, I, I can understand why he did it. It was a terrible mistake. Uh, he never... I think he he might have got one or two podiums for the rest of his career, but this was a double-time world champion who'd only been racing for five years or so. So there was still plenty more on the table. Of course, James Hunt went on to win a championship for McLaren in 76. Fittipaldi would have been in a very good position to win that championship if he was still there. Um, And and the Kopasuka team was was abysmal. Uh, And Fittipaldi had to contend with the last sort of five or six years of his career being stuck essentially at the back of the grid a lot of the time. So uh, if that's a le- yeah a lesson to all Formula One drivers, don't move to your brother's team. It won't work. <laughs> I feel like I don't have a brother now. <laughs> it's it on the cards otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
to maybe discuss uh, a few others. <laughs> Rather than, is this a terrible move? I'm just going to ask the question of Fernando Alonso's move. Which one was the worst, Sam? Oh, blimey. Um, Take your pick. I think McLaren had to be the worst possible move. And the thing is with... One or two, which one? Oh, it's, well... Two, obviously. One, he 100% could have won two world titles. Hamilton beat him twice. Like, you're a double world champion, mate. You were the reigning champion when you moved to that team. And you got beat by a rookie like his first season. And then the second year, you got beat by a rookie who then wins his first title. Alonso could have won two titles with McLaren the first time around. And he yeah. stepped it up a little bit. He was only there for uh, a year, though. I thought he was there for two years. No, no, I know Alonso and Kovalainen are basically interchangeable. But... <laughs> Babyface and the Spanish maestro. Yeah, they're very similar. Sorry, regardless, Alonso could have won titles if he you know, st- apparently stuck around a little longer. Um, <laughs> but the thing is with Alonso is his ability to just burn bridges, to pee off team principles and ruin relationships. And I think that, you know, Ferrari was never going to happen. He was just a, at Ferrari at a time where they were never good enough. But then he moves back to McLaren in what is the most god-awful partnership that we, they have ever seen at that point. I mean, Honda now turned around to have multiple race victories in the most recent era of them, and good for them for doing so. Um, but what are you doing, man? If you maybe just stuck around a little bit longer, worked a little bit harder, built up some reputation with some teams, you might have been in a winning spot. I reckon Red Bull were taking him on. A long-time veteran at the time, who was obviously essentially a junior driver, had he been a little bit more respectful and a bit more polite and courteous with how he acted with things. But it wasn't to happen. So Alonso, what, has got the record for basically being X amount of points off of um, winning multiple world titles. And I think pretty much all of them were down to his own doing. So there you go. Alonso is definitely the king of multiple band moves and just annoying other people in the sport. I saw a photo the other day of when Alonso was announced at McLaren for the second go around, and it's just a, a smiley Alonso and a smiley Ron Dennis in the uh, in the McLaren Technology Centre, and I just couldn't help but just look at it and think, wow, you guys have no idea. You have <laughs> no idea what's about to happen. Um, Harry, would, what would you say was Alonso's worst move? Uh, I think the uh, the... Burning the bridges at the end of the first that first stint at Macca, uh, and then having to go to Renault. I know he got a couple of wins in 08, but 09 was horrendous, and obviously then he went to Ferrari. Cheers, Nelson. Cheers, oh, Nelson. Oh, Nelson. The guy that was told to put it into a wall and still doesn't have a drive. Yeah, he was that bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't. Obviously, in hindsight, the second McLaren move was horrendous. But at the time, it all made sense. I don't. I. I, I don't see. You know, Alonso had had how many years? Five frustrating years at Ferrari. He'd come close twice to um to a championship. Basically, dragging a car that probably didn't deserve to be there. He completely smashed Massa, and then Raikkonen in fourteen as well. And he still, you know, that Ferrari in 14 was nowhere near what it was, you know, in 15 and then 17, 18. Um, so I, I kind of don't blame him for that move. And, and you know, all the, it was all pointing in the right direction for McLaren and Honda. It seemed like the sensible thing to do to, you know, in this new era, you needed to have a, a partnership with an engine supplier that just supplied your team to beat Mercedes and Ferrari, etc. 
Um, and this seemed like, the, at the time, probably seemed like a pretty good move. And that, you know, the might of Alonso and Honda and McLaren that could do great things. But it was not. <laughs> it was a terrible move. But uh, yeah, I, I think the first move away from, away from McLaren is actually a poorer move because he burned the bridges at a team what that, what, that, you know, that were winning at the time, went on to win the next championship. Whereas uh, I, I can understand the, the the second one more, to be honest. So yeah, end of 07. What are you doing, Fonz? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to just to wrap up this topic, um, an honourable mention for worst move, I think, needs to go out to Jacques Villeneuve to BAR. Um, and then extending his time there after what he'd seen in 99. That's, um, yeah. He loves that... it. Well, I'm not sure he did, really. Went from, yes. went from winning a championship in his second F1 year to never winning again. Bless. That sounds very much like my life, just without the championship. <laughs> oh, you're not oh, a guy fan. Don't put yourself down like that. <laughs> <laughs> So moving on, we've spoken before on the podcast about Ferrari's young drivers coming through the ranks at the moment, and three of them will be getting an F1, FP1 opportunity this season. Uh, the next race, the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, Mick Schumacher will be participating in FP1 for Alfa Romeo, and at the same weekend, Callum Eilert will be running for Haas. And later in the season, Robert Schwartzman will be getting his opportunity at Abu Dhabi. Uh, no word yet on which team that will be for. Um, looking at the early weather forecast and how cold it's looking like it's going to be for FP1, Sam, it, it's a bit of a bit of a baptism of fire for these guys, isn't it? Right. So they're literally going like skiing or ice drifting. Apparently, apparently that's the new test for F2 drivers. How unfair is that, lads? This is it. It's your first time in what is essentially the best car ever made currently in terms of speed and cornering ability. Yeah, you're you're going to get to go around it. One of the most famous tracks in the world, but it is three degrees and it's really icy and we don't actually have tyres that work in those conditions. Um, in all seriousness, if Schumacher and Eilat can both be ahead of a number of drivers, I think that already shows that they've got the ability to handle that F1 car in tricky conditions. Um, it's still exciting to see what they're doing. They're still on the same conditions as everyone else. It's not like they're the only two on a really cold track and everyone else to drive around Portimao in the lovely summer sun. Um, I'm very excited to see what all three of them could do across the last bit of the season that we've got coming. I, I'm a little nervous about Eilat. I think that um, I think Schumacher is destined to see regardless of if he bings it three times in one session, to be honest. I think a team would still pick him up uh, in the next season. Uh, Schwartzman, I think he just... I he's so young. He's doing so well. I think he'll do another season in F2, regardless of his talent. I think he'll get picked up. He's got a lot of sponsorship behind him. He's very well liked. Eilat, for some reason, doesn't seem to have that magnitude around him. Doesn't seem to have that that uh, gravitas, to use a very American word, um, which seems to be hooking an F1 team to him. The rumours seem to be all over the place. And I think that's really sad because I think Eilat has been probably the most consistent driver, not necessarily the best, but the most consistent driver in F2 this season. He's shown a lot of promise. And I really think he could be a strong driver in the F1 field. 
I'm very nervous so that he's going to end up, and this isn't an insult, but maybe not his dream. You might end up following the likes of Nick DeVries to Formula E or could be doing something more um, WEC based or uh, or even maybe go to IndyCar, which would be quite interesting. Of course, there's a few XF1 drivers over there now. Um, so I'd like to see him in F1 and I hope he really impresses uh, probably in the Haas. Uh, but we'll have to see. But it's, it's going to be really great to see them all go around the Nürburgring. I'm really excited. Uh, well, it's, I, I think uh, I can't. Sorry, I can't remember if it was yourself, Harry, or Sam that, that pointed out that it is twenty years uh, and one day after Schumacher won his first championship for Ferrari that Mick Schumacher will be making his FP1 debut, which um, which is quite quite incredible. How how are you feeling ahead of that, and also Callum Eilert's debut for Haas? Oh, I just gonna I'm gonna go and have a, a little sob when uh, when FP1 is on next week. An hour and a half and of of me sobbing. And uh, and then I'll be fine. Um, no, it's a, it's a it's a poignant moment, isn't it? There aren't many father son duos in F one, and you know we've had Rosbergs, Hills, Villeneuves. Um, yeah, it doesn't come around too often. It doesn't always always mean they're going to be successful. But um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big moment for the old Schumacher fanboy within me to see you know the Schumacher name back on the timing screens. But um, yeah, I. Whereas, because he had a young driver test last year, I think, with Ferrari and Alfa Romeo. And whereas, you know, there's a huge amount of hype around that. Whereas then I think he was obviously too, it was too early for him. Uh, Now I think he does look like he's the driver. He's a driver ready to go step up into F1. Um, But I I would agree. I think Eilat is ready too. I I think he is a serious contender for Haas. Uh, I think Schumacher is probably the one for Alfa Romeo because that's like the Ferrari B team. Um, but yeah, I, I say that, and Ben, you'll make this point as well. Gunter Steiner will then still announce Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean are going to be in that car for another four years. So um, yeah, but no, uh, in all serious, seriousness, I think all three have a genuine chance. I said to you both yesterday when the news broke, it was telling that Schwartzman doesn't get the test until Abu Dhabi. So I think that's the way that they're thinking. Um, but it doesn't rule him out entirely, but. Uh, Bar any major mishaps for Schumacher in his uh, in his test next Friday, I think he'll probably get the nod over Schwartzman. But Schwartzman has got a seat in F1 in the future, that's for sure. Also, just for those out there, I will create a 24-hour loop of Harry crying over F1. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Real tears. Everyone loves a teary reaction to F1 moments, don't they? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Right, so um, a theoretic, it's great to see all three of these drivers getting an opportunity. Of course, yeah, Schwartzman getting his a little bit later on in the season. And I think the most likely situation is that Schwartzman doesn't get his seat until uh, 2022. Um, but a, a lot of it can still be decided with this F2 title. We know how Red Bull have at times... Um, when a driver of theirs has won uh, one F2 and they obviously the winner of F2 can't go back in the championship. So they've sent them to super formula or something along, you know, a championship similar, like similar to that. Um, but if one of these three, and there's a very good chance one of these three will win the championship, there's a, there's a strong claim to for them to then get it. You know, obviously the number one, they've, they've beaten their two main rivals for the C. Uh, and also, they just can't return to the championship. So for their development, it makes sense to get them in the car first. So there's still plenty to fight for uh, when it comes to the F2 championship. And yeah, I think all three of these guys, all three of these guys are deserving of this chance, of this opportunity. 
Um, and of those four seats, so, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen, he is being pretty strongly linked to be returning to Alpha next year. But the other three are definitely out there. Um, you know, Giovinazzi, his seat is far from safe. Magnussen and Grosjean, I know they keep persisting with these two guys. Uh, maybe this will be the year that they finally get rid of one or, or both of them. Having said that, Haas are in a position where I, I, they could argue that the car's not giving them the opportunity to show what they can do. So that might save them. Who knows? But you, you've got these sort of three or four seats available. And I think it's almost a bit unlucky for the guys. So if Eilert was there alone, he was the only Ferrari driver coming through at this period of time, he'd probably stand a very, very good chance of getting one of those seats. He still stands a pretty good chance, but he'd have a very, very good chance because there'd be no competition for it. As it is, you've got Eilert, Schwartzman and Schumacher all fighting for these seats, plus the guys that are already in these seats. And you've also got Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez, who wouldn't mind a drive either. So you've got plenty of plenty of guys all fighting for two or three, maybe four seats. Um, one thing I was interested to know your thoughts on, guys, um, it used to be policy that there was um, there was a third driver that was used for, for a practice day or going back sort of 15 years or so. Uh, and I'm not necessarily advocating that coming back in. But do you think the teams in FP1 in every season, there should be some sort of quota for letting someone who isn't one of your two drivers compete in those sessions? So maybe, I don't know, you need someone outside of your two drivers, say five times a year to race in FP1. Would you Would you advocate that, Sam? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. Um the thing is, it, it it doesn't prove too much, I suppose, as long as you can maybe match it to the other guys that try that car around that track. So in FP1, you have to do one long run and at least one qualifying lap. And if you're within X percent, I suppose you could go off something. And obviously F1 seems like what they're doing with these things probably more than I do. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see more drivers get a shot. I'd like them to get a chance. I don't know how much it's going to open up as an option for these younger drivers, but I think it'll be good exposure. Um, Give it a go. Why not? If you get one one or two choices a year, usually in a season we've got 20, 22, 23 races. So what's the harm in one FP1 session going to a, a youngster? What are your thoughts on that, Harry? Just to, just to see what you think. Yeah, I mean, we used to have the third car. Um, we used to have the third car in Friday practice a few years ago. Well, we're talking about the noughties now when expense was didn't matter. Um, and that gave teams a chance to put a third driver in, basically a test driver. Um, I'm, the only one I can think of is Anthony Davidson, the BAR, good old Davidson. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against it. Uh, if every team got to do it, where, where's the unfair advantage? They just got to obviously pick. I guess they've had choice of what weekend um, they they choose to put the drivers in. I um, mean, you know, if it's a championship fight, you're not going to put them in towards the end of a season. So, um, yeah, I, I would not be that against that at all. And then it, at least it gives it gives uh, an, a, you know more of a platform for these F2 drivers to get a you know a test in F1 car because it's only you know the Ferrari Young Driver Academy ones that tend to get a test these days. Uh, well, to be fair, Williams have done a few now, haven't they? Then Aiken and Tickton this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Goat yeah, Masami. No. Oh, sorry. How could I forget Goat Roy? Um, yeah, exactly. So um, I think I, I would not be against it at all. I think it'd be a good thing. 
Um, moving on to our third topic of today. So Ferrari's downfall in 2020 has been nothing less than uh, catastrophic is the term I'm going to use here um, with the team under a lot of pressure. Uh, the result of this is that a lot of attention has been put on them. But has this distracted everyone from where Red Bull are at the moment, who were tipped to be pretty close to Mercedes this year? Uh, and to be honest, they, they seem to be uh, about as far away as they were last year. Sam, do you think that Ferrari's downfall has perhaps helped Red Bull in that respect and they need to uh, they need to be held a bit more accountable for where they're at? It's not just helped Red Bull, it's helped Alex Albon as well. Um, oh, here we go. No, but like... <laughs> Get the pickers out, lads. We're going to war. Um, Alex Albon has half the points of Max Verstappen and a Red Bull that is probably the same pace as it was last year in comparison to the Mercedes, right? It can't beat it on a regular basis. It needs a special circumstance, uh, a DNF or a tyre blowout or a ridiculously hot track to have a chance of really beating both the Mercedes um, or in Lewis Hamilton's case, 83 penalties that are coming his way this season. Um, That's the only time that Red Bull have been able to beat Mercedes regularly across the entire hybrid era. It's not like that's suddenly come around this season. That is a consistency. And if Ferrari were of the same pace that they were, let's say in 2018, I think Red Bull would be struggling again to get any more than third place. And Albon would technically then have two cars in front of him fighting competitively that he wouldn't normally have to deal with. At least currently, he's going past McLaren's and racing points, which can't consistently throw a result together. Um, and I think it would be absolutely disastrous for his points tally in comparison to what it is now. So... Yeah, I think that they are. I've got a bit of saving grace coming their way. I think people are looking the other way. People are laughing at um, Ferrari and the laughing stop that they are and applauding Leclerc for pulling out a sixth place and a podium and another podium and you know dragging that car up out of nowhere, having a mask and up and qualifying occasionally. Um, and they're getting away with it. And I think they need to be careful because otherwise, if a team, say McLaren or Racing Point next season, just develops a bit more, they can have a real competitor on their hands, I think, especially if Mercedes take another step forward as they do every single season and they can really be showing up for what they're getting up to. Um, I'd like Red Bull to become more competitive. I want a competitor for Mercedes, please. But uh, currently they are not doing it. And FIA keep throwing spangers at, at, at uh, Mercedes. No party mode, you know, no this, no that. Uh, you can't have DAS next season. Um, it's not working, FIA. You can keep trying to pin down the best team. But realistically, the other teams just need to get better. And Red Bull haven't got better. The midfield have got better. And the Mercedes have got better. And I think they could be found out if uh, Ferrari get their act together. What, what do you reckon, Harry? Do you think this has been a bit of a case of Ferrari have been awful, so Red Bull not making much progress has been hidden? Uh, yeah, it's tricky. There's, there's, I think there's a genuinely good car in that Red Bull somewhere. They just haven't found it yet. Uh, obviously, they had the win at Silverstone, but that was probably more down to tyre issues slash Max Verstappen. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I think Ferrari have kind of saved them a few blushes. Whether they, you know, 2019 car would have been uh, what, yeah, a 2019 engine that Ferrari would have made them quicker than the Red Bull this year, I don't know. I don't think anyone was going to touch Mercedes. Uh, they, that car is... Could well be their most dominant car yet. I don't know. I mean, the 14 car was ridiculous, but it's just the most complete car. Has it broken down? I don't think so. And the team are on such a roll uh, at Mercedes that I don't. it's really difficult to stop them. So any, any team trying to stop them needs to be on their A game. 
and Red Bull haven't quite been there. They, in terms of strategy, they are, but um, yeah, the car isn't quite there yet. So, yeah, uh, would it have been better for them if, or worse for them if Ferrari had been up at the front? I don't know, because I think Red Bull as a team are more hooked up than Ferrari are, even when Ferrari have a good car. Um, but it may, may just emphasise what a job Mercedes are doing, because I don't think the Ferrari would have beaten them either, to be honest. Um, I guess this is just depressing, isn't it? No one's going to stop Mercedes, are they? They're going to take over the world, and then F1 will be called Mercedes 1, and then everything will be silver. I think another M team is going to come back and beat them. I think it's going to be Midland. Yes! Or like Minardi. Midland and Minardi are going to combine their powers to take down Mercedes. M and M and M and M. Yeah, they're going to call themselves M and M. Right. This is definitely happening. We need a couple of drivers with M to drive for them. Uh, Mazakana, you can do it. He'll he'll love it. (laughs) Um, we'll find another one as well. It's junky. Morbidelli. There we go. Anyway, perhaps more serious things. Um, I, I will say about Red Bull that there is this whole issue with them having a lower budget than Mercedes. Uh, I can't remember exactly how much lower it is, but uh, Red Bull do operate on a lower budget than both Mercedes and Ferrari and always have done, really. Um, so it is impressive in the first place that they can compete at this level. But yeah, having said that, they are closer to Mercedes than what they were last year. So after 10 races in 2019, they were 216 points behind. This year, they're 174 points behind. So there is progress there. But you have to consider half of their competition, Ferrari, isn't isn't racing against them this year. Um, and you know Pierre Gasly, who struggled massively in the car last year, He's not in the car this year, which I think kind of says a few things. First of all, Red Bull have not taken advantage of Ferrari not being there as much as they should have done. Uh, And ultimately, Alex Albon, who, let's face it, in most races shouldn't have an excuse to be lower than fourth place, is finishing lower than fourth place a lot of the time. So um, I I think it's just disappointing that this Honda relationship I think this was the year that they were supposed to crack on and make progress. I think that, you know, 2019 was encouraging. I feel as if 2020 and indeed 2021 was supposed to be the years that they, that they really pushed on and started to lay into Mercedes. And even if not beat them, start to take victories away from them on a more regular basis. And it just hasn't happened. Um, I would agree with you, Harry, that I think there is a better car there than what they're able to unlock at the moment. I know that they have had issues with their upgrades uh, and how they essentially, rather than have it throughout the year, they sort of brought them all together to the first race and they kind of didn't didn't match up very well. And I'm not sure they fully recovered from that. But um, it would be obviously I want to, I want to see a, a bit a bit of a championship fight. It's not going to happen this year, but maybe if they can get their act together, either Verstappen or the team can can at least muster up a fight, a la Ferrari in 2017 or 18. Um, but at the moment, it's not looking good. It's time for the main event. What you've all been waiting for. It's the one. Sam, vocal cords at the ready. It's F1 back and forth. It's F1. 
Back and forth, it's F1. Back and forth, it goes backwards. And then goes forth, it's F1. Back and forth, yeah, F1. Oh, we inject it. Love it. F1, back and forth is back. Uh, If you haven't listened along to the podcast before, I'll briefly explain what it is involved. It's Harry versus Sam uh, on a particular topic. So I'll say this topic beforehand. There will be a set number of correct answers to that topic. They will go back and forth giving correct answers until one of them can't think of an answer or gives a wrong answer. Is it going to be about Jackie Hicks again? (laughs) Races won by Jackie. No, I'm afraid not. Um, yeah, if you listen to the last time we played this game, Sam had a uh, a bit of a Jackie X nightmare. But um, <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, he won't come up tonight. Uh, so the first topic: drivers that had two or more podiums in the nineteen nineties. Oh, and there are Ben Hawking. There are twenty five correct answers to this. Two or more podiums in the 1990s. Harry, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off on this one. Michael Schumacher. Ah, he only had one. I'm oh, so sorry. <laughs> oh, hang on. No, let me, 71. Sorry, misreading mis- my notes there. Um, yes, Michael Schumacher is a correct answer. Sam, what are you going for? Ayrton Senna. Ayrton Senna is a correct answer. Harry. How many, how many correct answers did you say there were? 25. 25? Oh, that doesn't seem like that many. Anyway, um, Nigel Mansell. Big Nige. Of course he's there. <laughs> Sam. Mika Hakkinen. Mika Hakkinen is a correct answer. Harry. Uh, Alan Prost. Correct. Sam. Harry, who have you said? I've already forgotten. Alan Prost. <laughs> Is that it? Is it? Okay. Um, Damon Hill. Of course. Damon Hill is a correct answer. Harry. Um, Gerhard Berger. Of course. The beef burger is there. Whee. Sam. Um, Jacques Villeneuve. As much as Harry would, I'm sure, not like his name mentioned. Yes, that is the right answer. Harry. Um, Ricardo Patrese. That is a correct answer. Sam. David Coulthard. Big DC. Absolutely love it. Harry. Uh, Rubens Barrichello. He did pick up a few, yeah. Sam? Um, uh, oh, please don't let me down. Um, John Alazy. John? <laughs> yeah, the John. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's close, but he did just about have more than two. He had, thir- he had 32. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Harry, what's your next answer? Yeah, 32. That's an obscene amount. Um, it's an obscene amount considering he only, he only won one. Yeah, blimey. Um, okay, Eddie Irvine. Eddie Irvine is correct. 24 to his name. Um, Ralph Schumacher. 
Ralph Schumacher is correct. Harry. Um, Olivier Panis. Olivier Panis is correct. He had five. Sam. Jos Verstappen. Oh, yes. Jos Verstappen had exactly two. Yes. Harry. Johnny Herbert. Johnny Herbert has seven. <laughs> oh, um, how many have we got left? Eight, I think. Oh, God. Eight left. You're doing well. Oh, there's going to be people in the comments who are literally like, you boys know nothing. Um, I'm going to have to wrap the brain. Oh, I, I don't know. I might be. You said burger, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, beefy. Beefy's been done. That was one of my key up. <laughs> Beefy's been cooked already. Um. Um. Blundell. Yeah, Mark Blundell. Three podiums to his name. <sighs> Harry. His his old mate. Brundle. I mean, where Blundle comes, of course, Brundle comes as well. Uh, nine for Martin Brundle. Sam, back to you. Um, why did it come back to me so quickly? Why did I have to get the one name that literally sounds exactly like the other name <laughs> I was going to say? Um, I've got to do all the brain racking now. Why is the only name in my head Sebastian Buemi? I, think... um, <laughs> I know it's not right. I know it's not. I'll it's give not you a right. massive clue, Sam. <laughs> Sebastian Buemi's not a right answer. Oh, even I, I mean, who knows? Who even knows anymore? Um. Oh no, he definitely didn't. I've got one. I think I've got one. And it's only because he defends thin air, but he might not have had one in, in the nineties. Fisher Keller. Yeah, Fisichella is a correct answer. So it goes back to you, Harry, with just five correct answers still on the board. You can tell my thinking. I'm definitely running through early 2000s drivers in hope that they might have had a couple of podiums in the 90s. Uh, Nelson Piquet? Yeah, Nelson Piquet was seven to his name in the early 90s, so... Sam, it's back to you with just four left. Okay, let me rack the the brain. Have we done Heinz Harold Frensen? We've not done Heinz Harold Frensen. I'm saying him. I'm saying Heinz Harold Frensen. I'm Bagsy. I'm doing him. (laughs) Bagsy's me. 15 podiums for Frensen, which leaves you with just just three more. Uh... Now, I don't know if he managed to get more than two, but I'm going to say Mika Sala. Oh, it's a oh, good great answer. It's great exactly shout. two podiums. Oh, which Fair means play. you've got two left. Sam, can you name either of them? Oh, I mean, I'm guessing here. Well, I'm, not guessing. I'm just literally picking names out of a hat. Um, 
I feel like now I owe it to the F1 community that me and Harry get the last two. Yeah, we're going to make it to the end here. No, Sam, Taki and Ui did not get any shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's on, the only Taki. name I can think of. <laughs> Taki and Ui. Um, oh, right. Okay. So, for those of the podcast listening, we had a bit of an issue with internet. So, we've had a slight break. Fortunately, it's allowed <laughs> me to Nico Rosberg off into the, uh, the slip road, and I've bought myself some time. So I've actually got a name. It's going to be hilarious when this name is wrong. Um, Yarno Trilli. You know how much I love Yarno Trilli. Oh, it's so wrong. But unfortunately here, it's not a correct answer. Oh, (laughs) God damn it. I believe he he had one in the 90s, but I don't think um, he didn't get two. I'm so sorry. I'm Googling it. Also, Sam, I'm going to edit this so seamlessly that no one would ever know that there was a 20-minute gap in between the, oh, <laughs> that sorry, answer mate. and the one before. <laughs> sorry. You ruined the illusion. Can uh, I do it again? No, it's fine. No, no. <laughs> um, I didn't have... I honestly didn't have any more left. So, I mean, we're both... I'm Dude. sad that we couldn't get to the end. We were so close. You were very close. And it was just two more that had three podiums each. Uh, Thierry Bootson and Alessandro Nanini. But, um, oh, we never a, got him. A very good effort. A very good effort. And Harry, <laughs> congratulations on your win. Oh, thanks, mate. Did I win? Well, I mean, Sam didn't get it right, so so it works. <laughs> oh, nice. I hate <laughs> this competition. I you love it. Theme Don't tune. lie, you love it. Write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, when you say when you say write the theme tune, Sam, <laughs> I spent hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of theme tunes, the August bit is going to start singing this. Judge it's it not well. now. It's now. It's F one. <laughs> back and forth. It's F one. Back and forth. It goes backwards and then goes forth. It's F one. Back and forth, it's F1. I love that little snare. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's great. Absolutely love it. Right, I need to go to Ikea. Let's go. Right, yeah, Sam needs to get to Ikea, so we're going to wrap up this podcast on what is International Podcast Day. Let us know how you got on. Out of 25, how would you have got on? But um, Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting yourself off to Ikea, but first of all, getting us out of here. Yeah, I'm off to get some Swedish meatballs and cinnamon buns because I'm absolutely buzzing at half past eight in the evening for Ikea. You love it. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, the silliness, the seriousness, the F1 talk, stick around for next week. We'll be reviewing, uh, previewing rather, the uh, German Eiffel Nürburgring Grand Prix, whatever name you want to give it. We'll be here on all your usual outlets, so come out and listen. Join us as well on YouTube for more videos, highlights. Subscribe over there as well, really appreciate it. Join us on Twitter at LBreaking. Chat to us whenever you want. We're always there as well being silly boys. In the meantime, I've been Sam Yassi. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Giancarlo Ginzani. Oh, what a boy. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.